You're listening to the St. Mark's Podcast for April 23rd, 2023, the third Sunday of Easter. Today's sermon was given by the Reverend Elizabeth Garnsey. It's based on Psalm 104. One of the more provocative cartoons I've seen in recent years depicts the planet Saturn as a doctor with a stethoscope. And Dr. Saturn is talking to the Earth, which is looking gray and a little withered and has a thermometer in his mouth. And Saturn says to the sickly Earth, I'm afraid you have humans. (laughs) At first glance, I laughed and then I winced because the cartoon cuts so close to the truth of what ails our planet with its rising temperatures and melting ice caps, mass extinctions and particles of microplastics found in oceans and streams, and even in human blood samples. Symptomatic of the Earth's having humans, extreme floods and fires and unprecedented storms wreak havoc on landscapes, and not least of all, human life and livelihoods. And what's more, climate disaster most drastically impacts the humans who already suffer from malnutrition, water shortages, and diseases, the poor, hungry, and sick, whom our scriptures specifically teach us to love and to care for. The leading climate scientist and evangelical Christian, Catherine Hayhoe, asks, what is more Christian than to be good stewards of the planet and love our global neighbor as ourselves? She and her scientist colleagues the world over are clear about these simple facts. Climate is changing, humans are responsible, the impacts are serious, and the time to act is now. Because of the political polarization in our country, it's risky to state these science-based facts to a large and diverse crowd. But I obviously don't speak to you as a scientist nor as a political person. I can only speak to you as a parish priest and one who tries to read and understand our scriptures faithfully. And I also speak as someone who, like most or all of you here or on the live stream, have paid significant attention to the beauty of the natural world. I've done it for whole seasons of my life or just by heading outdoors for a walk once in a while during another consuming work week. I grew up in Colorado, a frontier town on the edge of the Great Plains. And when my windows were open in the mornings, I could hear meadowlarks singing a song I will never forget. Even though you can't hear them there much anymore, as the town has grown and they've disappeared to quieter environments. In summers, my family spent weekends in the Rocky Mountains on a glacier-fed lake at an altitude of 9,000 feet. Icicles hung off our dock every morning in June. But by 10 a.m., the sun burned so hot we could swap our turtlenecks for bathing suits and swim as long as we could stand the ice-cold water or until a thunderstorm hit like clockwork every afternoon. We hiked and fished and pretended to be fairy creatures among the pine trees. I was one in a long line of tree huggers before the term became pejorative. And now, just walking around New Canaan during this spring season is enough to take my breath away. Whether it's the trees blooming in a full spectrum of pink, or the fields of daffodils in Irwin Park, 
or the cacophony of birdsong that has been waking me up at five in the morning through an open window. I can only describe the feeling these things give me as pure awe, and they lift my mood and redirect my attention, even if momentarily, from whatever stress or worry weighs me down. In the same way, when we get overwhelmed by the statistics about climate change, or paralyzed into thinking there's so little we can do in the face of such awesome catastrophe, I want to suggest that a return to the state of experiencing awe on a daily basis as a spiritual practice, as a habit, can be the first antidote to our despair. Awe is love. And when you're in love, you want to care for your beloved. God's own first response to all that God has made was awe. In the Genesis creation account, God saw all that God had made and called it very good. If you think about any time you've been surrounded by nature's majesty, awe is our first and most primary response as well. When we lose our sense of awe, it is a sign that something is broken in our relationship to nature. Ever since I was ordained a priest, many people will come up and tell me, I don't go to church, I find God in nature, as if it were an either-or proposition. It says volumes to me about how disconnected religion and nature have become in many places. But my love of nature and my love of God make me reel against and reject this dichotomy of religion versus nature, along with that lame science versus religion debate to which so many people on both sides are committed. How empty would faith in God be without a robust awe and appreciation of God's entire created order, a reverence for the many living things and inanimate wonders with which we share God's green earth. How wanting would our faith be without acknowledging the genius that nature reveals to us, so passionately observed by hardworking scientists, as much as by farmers and gardeners, like so many of you are, and anyone else who lives close to the land. The 14th century doctor of the church, Thomas Aquinas, said nature is God's first Bible. Nature shows us what God is like, providing food in due season, enough to go around, not wasting anything, not even dead things, out of which new life unfailingly springs forth. About six years ago, I took a class at Columbia called biomimicry. Basically, this is a new discipline that tries to imitate or learn from nature's genius to solve our human problems. For example, the holy grail in energy science is to recreate photosynthetic cells in a lab, cells that could imitate what a simple green leaf does every day with the same efficiency, turn sunlight into energy in trillions of a second. Scientists are getting close, but they aren't there yet. Photosynthesis is just one example of nature's genius from which humans have much to learn. And little by little, we are coming to see that light, if you'll pardon the pun. Perhaps driven by our current crisis, 
we're starting to see more clearly that all of God's created order can serve as mentor to us as we seek to solve our human problems. Like the two disciples on the road to Emmaus, our eyes have been kept from recognizing the wisdom that is all around us in nature and letting it teach us to become better humans, better housemates on our shared planet. One writer defines ecology as how nature keeps house. We humans aren't so good at housekeeping. Unlike Earth's other species, we humans need to be taught how to stop greedily taking more than our fair share of resources without any thought for our housemates' needs. We need to learn how to stop wasting food and polluting our water and dumping our trash in other creatures' habitats. Our relationship with nature is broken. As a species, we have lost our sense of awe. Ellen Davis, who's an Old Testament scholar at Duke Divinity School, says, our ecological crisis is a massive disordering in our relationship with God, the creator of heaven and earth. In Genesis, the human being, Adam, is made from the fertile soil, Adama. This lovely wordplay is not lost for once in the English translation. Humans come from humus, the soil of the earth. And lest we think too highly of our own place in the created order, in Genesis, God tells human beings to remember that you are dust and to dust you shall return. We repeat these words every, Wednesday, every Ash Wednesday in our tradition, sometimes losing sight of their literal meaning. Our relationship to the earth is first and foremost one of awe. Richard Rohr says, we must know that creation is our first and final cathedral. Nature is the one song of praise that never stops singing. To his point, Psalm 104, which we chose as the reading for this Earth Day weekend, returns our hearts to awe. If you ever find yourself despairing and losing hope in the face of the facts of our changing environment, read this psalm and return your heart to the place of awe that God wants to share with us in creation. The risen Christ was and is there, still making the clouds his chariot, riding on the wings of the wind. There he is, making the winds his messengers and flames of fire his servants. The risen Christ is there where the thunder commands the rain and the springs flow into valleys. He's there where all the beasts of the fields drink their fill from the streams and where the birds of the air make their nests and sing among the branches. The risen Christ fills the earth with his presence and we do well to recognize him there, not least of all in the way that nature, like the one who made it all, accepts us freely, no matter what damage we do. It forgives us freely as a gift. When we injure the earth again and again, nature heals and accepts. New growth somehow rises out of flooded plains and scorched fields. The risen Christ with wounded hands and feet appears to us again and again, meeting us where we are to forgive us and to walk the road with us and even to help us heal Earth's bad case of humanitis.
The risen Christ finds us in our dead places and raises us up to new life, giving us chance after chance to put an end to the destructive ways in which we act or fail to act to the detriment of our planet home. Resurrection invites us to turn back from our road to nowhere into this new life of awe with the risen Christ, where we can become more fully human than we've ever been, where we can become the co-creators with God we are made to be, humans who till and keep the earth in awe and wonder to the glory of God. Amen. You can find more sermons on our website, www.stmarksnewcanaan.org.